So I'm going to share with you two very different stories of examples of hard times. So number one, I grew up in central Jersey, and as part of my household, we had a cat, a little white cat named Salt. And at a certain point in my life, I think I was about 13 years of age, my dad came alongside of me and said, we have to have a talk. No, not that talk. No, this is the other talk. And he said, salt is dying. Salt has leukemia. And so salt needs to go see Jesus. That was hard. Because when you have a pet in the family, it's kind of part of the family. And so uh, I had to grieve. And so that was a loss. So that's one hard time. Number two. So there's this couple, and they're named Jay and Catherine Wolf. This is a picture of them before uh, the incident I'm going to describe. Uh, but uh, back in about April of 2008, without any warning at all, Catherine was working actually on making a lasagna in her kitchen. And suddenly she literally collapsed. And what turns out happened was she had a massive, what they call it a massive brainstem stroke. They didn't know. No one could have known. It, it just out of the blue. And the only way she would have known is to unfortunately have that stroke. There were some nerves that were disconnected at the stem of her brain. Even, I mean, it was so bad, the surgeon wasn't even sure if he should operate, uh, if, it, if it was worth it. Uh, she, she spent 40 days in, on life support in ICU. And this is a picture of that. Uh, she was barely alive for the better part of a year. She couldn't swallow. Uh, she even says in her book that her husband and her came out with called Hope Heals. Uh, she said that there was a swallow test. It was her ninth swallow test. I mean, can you imagine not swallowing? Um, and meaning swallowing, meaning that she couldn't ingest anything. So food, liquid, it all had to be in ingested through the stomach. And so it was just before Thanksgiving, uh, when it was her ninth swallow test, and she just thought, all right, this has got to be God. Come on, it's just before Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday. Everybody's going to be eating around me. And the therapist came in and said, nope, not this time. And it sent her into a deep tailspin. She says this in her book. Has God made a horrible mistake? I should have died a year ago, because this, this happened about a year after that. Why didn't I? Instead of making lasagna in my new little kitchen, her husband had just purchased a nice little bungalow in downtown LA. I'm being fed meals through a tube in my stomach. I've gone from having playdates with my girlfriends to courses on disability adjustment. I used to power walk the hills of Pepperdine. Now I have two physical therapists and a walker and I still struggle to take one step. I've gone from wearing cute outfits, that's an understatement, she was actually a model, to adult diapers and, and hospital gowns. She, she interjects, I want my old life back. Every day my old life seems further and further away. If I wasn't, if I wasn't here anymore, things would be better for everyone else. Jay, her husband, could marry a normal, able-bodied woman. James, her son, could have a normal mommy. Everyone could stop putting their life on hold just to help me. Everyone doesn't deserve this suffering. I should be in heaven right now. Then at least everyone else's pain would eventually come to an end. It's a hard story to hear. And let me interject, if you think, or today, yesterday, have thought any of these things, please see someone. Please get help. But I share that story, and then, to me, the sadder cat story, 
because there's a wide spectrum, right, of hard times, wide. And I didn't want anyone walking into this auditorium to think I was underestimating their tremendous pain because there may be someone in this very room who's undergoing or dealing with pain on such a great level. So, but yet, yet I expect that, that most of us here are just dealing with the average aches and pains of life. Yet, the question is, how are we going, how are we going to face those hard times when they come? Because if hard times, whether you have them now or whether you will have them, will come. Now, I also want to say this. I feel like I'm the bad like, guy. Because every time I come up here, like last time I was talking about crisis, this time I'm talking about hard times. Like next time I come up here, you're going to like run for the door, <laughs> right? Is it, what's this guy going to talk about next? Tragedy? Sorry. My turn was up. So all that to say, let's jump into our text because Peter has something significant to say to us. So make sure your Bible's open. Make sure you have your outline, and let's jump into 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 1a. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Peter introduces himself, but doesn't say much about himself because later in the letter, he calls these exiles, we'll get to them here in a minute, who he's writing to, loved ones. So obviously there's a tight relationship between Peter and these exiles. He doesn't really need to say much to introduce himself, right? And also he's Peter. I mean, he's the apostle Peter, hung with Jesus. I mean, what else does he need to say? Yet, I think he's one of the best people to be speaking on hard times because he went through a lot of hard times himself. I mean, what? He's like the only non-divine person I know walked on water. Imprisoned. He denied Jesus three times. I mean, talk about hard times that were faced by this, by Peter. He can speak to it out of experience like no one else can. Jumping into 1B. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Peter calls his recipients exiles. They're Jewish Christians who are fleeing persecution from elsewhere. So maybe that could have been Rome and going to this northern Turkey area. It looks like that. I always wonder, you know, what, what does it look like? You know, what, so it looks a little bit like maybe a greenish Colorado with the mountains there. So, but they're still exiles. And so they still came out of persecution. Now, more recently, and part of what motivated Peter to write and send this letter to these exiles, that they had heard rumors of Nero. I don't know if you guys know your history at all, but there's this emperor named Nero. He wasn't really a good guy and persecuted Christians, including using them as human torches for his dinner parties. So that probably didn't go over well with anyone, including these exiles who are there. So that gives you kind of a perspective should have had, I should have my clicker, my, my little pointy thingy, forgot it. Anyway, that's where they're at. So you can see Asia, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Pontus. That's where those exiles fled to from different parts of the empire. Anyway, so these exiles had heard rumors, and, the, and they're weary from facing another overwhelming and intimate wave of persecution. And so Peter's trying to encourage them because they're not sure how they're going to hold on with another wave of persecution to their faith. Because again, we're talking about exiles who they fled from somewhere else. So when they're there, they don't have really family or friends or anything. And then they have to face persecution again. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? Right? So anyway, so under the inspiration of the Spirit, Peter responds to the hard times of these exiles. And let's jump into uh, verse 2. 
Actually, in the NASB, it starts with verse 1, like D. Uh, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ, be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So, we come to our first fill-in, which you can kind of read. Um, remember, the triune God chose you. That's your blank. Chose you to follow him. It's not like God is throwing random hard times at these exiles, but he chose them. He has a relationship with them. Uh, if you look at the Greek, and I put the ESV as a better translation of 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1 on your outline, but if you look at the Greek of 1.1, 1, 1, it says, in terms of the words, you have Peter, you have apostle, you have Jesus Christ, then you have two words, chosen exiles, because you don't see it in the NASB. Maybe you see it in your translation. Who has a translation where it says chosen or elect exiles, like right next to each other? Anybody have that? Anybody? Good. That's a good, yeah. That's, it, that's what it should say. Because that's the point that Peter's trying to make in this, in this letter. You're chosen. God chose you. It's not random. And it's triune. Because if you see, as I just read in verse 2, it's the Father who foreknew. It's the Son who and it's kind of weird. It says, Jesus Christ, who sprinkled with his blood. And that's just a, a reference to Exodus 24, 3, 8, a mosaic ceremony where God and the people committed to each other. And it's referencing that, that event um, back then. And then you have the Spirit who helps transform their lives, sanctifying their lives from the inside out. So it's not just a happenstance choosing. This is an intentional choice that God, the triune God, is choosing these people. So they're, you know, again, I'm foreshadowing what we're talking about in a few minutes, but their, their hard times weren't random. So jumping into verses 3 to 12, and that's a long, it's a basically one in the Greek, one long run-on sentence to scare you grammatical people out there, but it's, but it's so that's where I'm going to try to take it in chunks but it really is one big chunk. So as you jump into it, I'll read 3a. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can almost feel the excitement of the apostle Peter that he has for God the Father and what he's doing for not just those exiles, but for us, for him. It's, it's like Peter's cry of excitement for what he's been doing to show himself trustworthy. As an example... Again, wrong time of year, but Christmas. If, you're, if you go to the mall, you have little kids go to the mall, and they see Santa Claus, what do they do? They, run, they, they walk away, they're like, eh, ho, ho. no, what do they do? They, 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 what did you say, Amanda? They cry. Yeah, sometimes they cry. You're right. Yeah, there's all kinds of crazy reactions. I guess where I was going for was... <laughs> You, you know, that's, that's okay. Totally okay. Totally okay. I, I like to be interactive. What, what I was going for is the fact that because they expect that presents come from, that they get excited, that they're like, oh, no way. This is the guy. No way. They're, they're, they're thrilled. And I'm not comparing Santa to God. Obviously, this is very different. But trying to bring an analogy to this in that that's, that's, what, that's kind of the feel of Peter's excitement. 
is, I can't believe that I know God. My question is, can, we, can I say the same thing? I can't believe that I know God. So jumping right in to verses 3 to 5, I'm going to read them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So jumping into our next point, fill in. We are excitedly reminded God's worthy of our trust because he lavished us with gift upon gift upon gift beginning at conversion. He lavished us with these gifts. Let's walk quickly through these gifts. The first gift is, and here's the next fill-in, keep your pen out, new birth. A new birth into God's family. I mean, imagine if you're an exile. I mean, imagine how you're thinking as you're seeing that. A, A new birth into a new family. I mean, you're, 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 you've been abandoned. You're, you've got no one really to look to or depend on. And of course, in that culture, the ancient culture, they didn't necessarily have FaceTime or phones or the United States Postal Service, however reliable that could be. They, they just had what? Sorry, Quan. We have a postal worker, sorry. You're reliable. What, what did they have to connect to their families or their friends back home. I mean, maybe occasionally a friend would go, but especially when, if they came from Rome and are going to that place in northern Turkey, it's 1,800 miles. That's like driving from here to like eastern Colorado. It's a long distance. So for them to realize that they're connected to people around them and through this new birth, this church family, becomes huge. Do we realize that? Because assuming you're a Christian here, we all have received that new birth. We're all connected to everybody in here. Again, assuming you're all Christians, right? So you're my brothers and sisters. You're each other's brothers and sisters in Christ. We're connected. We're a church family, right? That's why it's called a church family, because it's a new birth. And for us today, it's sad because surveys come out that say over and over and over again that despite how interconnected we are with social media, that, that, that loneliness is rampant. That loneliness is rampant. A survey came out and said over, well, at least those Americans admitted it, over half admitted struggling with loneliness. And it's not that hard to get to know people, but I know in this day and age, we're so busy. We're so, we're running at, at such a fast pace. So how do we get connected? It's not just obviously coming to church on a Sunday morning, but, you know, and I'm going to say it like I've said it before, but it's joining a growth group. It's serving and and rubbing shoulders with someone else on a regular basis that, hey, conversation comes up, and before you know it, you're getting to know them. Because I don't know if this is bad news or good news, but we've got an eternity together, right? Might as well start to get to know them now. We'll talk about this in a minute, but hey, they could have a mansion in New Jerusalem next to yours. What do you do in that case? That's eternity. Hey, brings a whole new meaning to that meet and greet time. Get to know them, right? So, getting into the next gift. Verse, I think I'm in verse, nope, I'm continuing in verse 3. 
um, <clears throat> has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Number two, in terms of the gifts, this is the next gift, living hope. To both an inheritance, we'll get to that in a minute, and a future salvation. Because, as the verse says, Jesus demonstrated his power over death. Because, and it connects right together, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how do you get hope? Because this day and age, we don't have a good idea or understanding of hope. Because our hope is, maybe, just maybe, the Miami Dolphins will hopefully go to the Super Bowl. Right, Jason? That's our idea of hope, right? Hope against hope. But that's not God's idea of hope. God's idea of hope is a, 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 an assurance, a confident assurance. So how do we get that? Because it's not like you can just say, all right, I'm going to start hoping now. You start believing in what God has done in the past. Okay? Beginning with what he did to resurrect and overcome death. Right? That's one. And then number two, start making a list. Because I know we have them. Things that God's done for you in your past that you can look to and say, God did that. God did that, right? God did that. My wife and I have a list. And to be vulnerable, these are two things on our list. One is really small, one's big. So first off, living up in Pennsylvania, my wife would take my son to this downtown area that had metered parking. And he would take, take him to swimming lessons. And one day... She didn't have change, she didn't have cash, she didn't have anything, and she was wandering around, hoping that some, one of the meters was still running, and it wasn't, of course. And God brought, like, and I don't know how it all worked, but there was a guy there that just said, hey, do you need a quarter? And, and it was right after Lois, my wife, had prayed with my son, Ethan. And, you know, they knew it was God. And so that's one thing that's on our list. Another thing that's on our list, a bigger thing, is that my wife, many years ago, graduated from seminary, and when we got married... We had a huge debt, and there was an anonymous donor that gave us many years ago and covered my wife's debt. That's something God did. I know you guys have those things. I know you do. Write them down. Write them down. Verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So, Number three of these gifts is eternal inheritance. Should be your next blank under C. Eternal inheritance. So that's important for the exiles because, again, they had nothing else. So for them to, to anticipate that, especially when, I don't think I mentioned this before, but their life expectancy was like 28. So for them, they don't really have much to hope for in this life anyway. They're looking for what's next because there's, there's just nothing. But I guess the question that we all have is, well, what does that mean for us? Like, how do we apply the gift of eternal inheritance to us? Well, it goes back to this hope. So if we are hoping in the past on, we're staking our claim on the resurrection of Jesus and that list, right? That list of things that we know God's done for us. Then we pivot from the past to the future. And because we know he's going to do this, we know he's going to do the future, right? Thank you. Again, interactive. So we know he's going to do this internal inheritance. And so we can have that same hope. That's how we can begin to apply it. 
Because I know for us, we're so tangible, we're so, I mean, sometimes we can't even think about what's next week, let alone this future, this hope. But if we believe with confident assurance in what he's done in the past, then we can believe with confident assurance in what he's going to give us. And I know that some of you are like, what is that? Like, what's this eternal inheritance that we're going to get? Well, if you read Revelation, you see in heaven a lot of what we're going to get. And maybe it's, like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, maybe it's that mansion that you will get. The Bible's not crystal clear, and I think it's in part because if we are trusting God to be a generous God, then we can trust that he's going to give us above and beyond what we can imagine. Above and beyond what we can imagine. Next, finally in verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Number four of these gifts that we need to unwrap. Guard us for future salvation. Guard us for future salvation. Obviously, these exiles, again, the reason why he's saying this is because they're, they're fearing for their physical safety. So they're looking for like physical salvation. I think to apply it to us, I'm not sure we're so serious about that. I, if you are, let us, one of our security guards know. But for us, it's more emotional. It's more relational like we just talked about. It's maybe international. Maybe we're worried about world events. And it's giving those to God, knowing that he's going to guard us for our salvation. <clears throat> so concluding this point on God's gifts, it's assuming you're a, you're a Christian. I'm asking you, have you unwrapped some of these gifts? Have you, have you investigated? Are you applying some of these gifts to your life? Moving on to our next section, verses 6 to 9. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Next big fill-in, with hope, that's what I added. I have editing privileges on these outlines. With hope, we should trust God because we see that he gives us trials for our good so we can genuinely enjoy a relationship with Jesus even though we can't see him. So does it translate? So we trust that God is using our trials to... Hard times we realize, I think that's... I think we're on number three, yeah. So <clears throat> we trust that God's using our trials to... I don't know what that, that I, I changed it enough since I gave it to, there it is, shift our focus from our, his gifts to enjoying him. Thanks, Pete. There's your fill-in. So illustrating that point, at my previous church up in Pennsylvania, just after Hurricane Sandy hit, yeah, we had hurricanes there too. We had to deal with hurricane damage too. Well, I, I took a, a youth group over to Jersey Shore because that, that's where they got the worst of the damage. And I took like 50, I don't know, there's a bunch of people. Drove a 15-passenger van in a trailer. Note to self, I'm not very good at backing up a van in a trailer. Hold that in your back pocket. So we get there, and we, I drop everybody off where it's the worst of the damage. And then we go, you know, I go and take care of other things. We have lunch, go back, and I start picking everybody up. And the last stop was a cul-de-sac. It's one of those cul-de-sacs which is straight. Like, I've never seen that before. It's not, it doesn't have that rounded, loopy thing. That's a technical term. Like at the end of a cul-de-sac, usually you have, you have like a circle, and it didn't have that. 
And so I, had already, I was already halfway down the road when I got to that realization. And also the realization that I'm not really comfortable backing this up. So I picked up the kids. I figured I'll just hop on the curb of the one side of the road, try to maneuver my way around. Well, of course, there's a tree right there on the other curb. So then I, get, so I have to go around the tree. I get stuck. Long story short, I get stuck. And I get really stuck. Like the, It's a van with 15 of us in the van, sinking into this wet grass. And so there's 13 or 14 of us in this van. There's a trailer. There's other people, because again, there was 50 of us. And I'm not necessarily panicking, but I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, we're two hours from home. What do you do? So what does any good youth pastor do? All right, kids, let's pray. Seriously, that's what I did. And we prayed. Kid you not. Right after the prayer, somebody knocks on the door and says, do you need help? No kidding. Literally, two doors down, there was a small business with a bunch of, they had these trucks. That I don't know what they did, but whatever they did, they, they used those trucks to get us out of that ditch, grassy area in like, seriously, two minutes. We were on our way. And so going back to our point, he, gives, he gave me that hardship for my good to show me that he's trustworthy in the moment. But he also gave it for those students' good because they could see that in the midst of trial, God meets them where they're at, right? Now, I'm not saying that just because of my stupidity that God was rescuing me. He was, he was providing that in spite of that. I'll note that. So, but there's one word that I want to move to in our passage that I want to define. Because we as Americans get, I think we can confuse it with happiness, and that's joy. Joy isn't like happiness, which is based upon happenings, or whether things are going well or not. No, joy remains even, even amidst suffering. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an emotion that's acquired by anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. It can be described as exhilaration, as delight, as sheer gladness. It could result from a great success or a very beautiful or wonderful experience, like a wedding or like a graduation. And where does joy come from? It comes from hope. Because as you start from here in the past and as you move to the future, guess what? You have joy regardless of what's going on in the present because you're focused on the future. Not, not that you're not focused on the present, but your hope and your expectation. Because of your confident assurance of, of what God's done in the past, you can have that clear hope for the future, regardless of what's going on right now in your present, right? Right, and that brings joy. So moving on to the last section, verses 10 to 12. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, and these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter, and this is our fill-in, Peter says that we could trust God through hard times because we realize that we are part of a bigger story. We are part of a bigger story. I mean, look at the Old Testament prophets. They they had predicted this stuff. And they didn't predict it for themselves. They predicted it for the exiles, for us, to talk about what Jesus did on our behalf. And as we go through these hard times, we're part of that bigger story. I mean, did you see what it says there? It's really cool. Like, when I think of angels, I don't think of them, 
like looking. But that's what the verb says. So if you look at the very end of verse 12, things, this is what the NASB says, things into which angels long to look. Even these beings that I, I, you know, I don't think of them, I think of them as higher than me in some way and more glorified, but they're in some ways jealous of what we get to be part of. And so we're part of this bigger story. Now, I know typically and honestly the hardest part of our trials is, is for real that really our trials are more small things. And so it's hard to connect the dots in terms of bigger story and our things. Like for example, yesterday as I was working on this very message, my poor wife, she was pulling something out of the cabinet and a glass thing. I should have asked her what it was. But something glass that she uses a lot in the kitchen broke. And she, and she was, she, you know, it wasn't, I'm not saying it's tragic, I'm not saying it's global, I'm not saying it's epic, but it's just a hard time. It was frustrating. And it's that garden variety hard time, which most of us consistently, most of us face consistently, which makes it hard for us to feel like all of us, any of us are part of that bigger story. But that's why God gave us this. Because if we can consistently be in here, if our mind's consistently renewed by the Bible, we can realize through the Spirit that we are connected to something bigger. I know Pastor TJ last week had mentioned a 30-day plan. I'm sure you can get in on that if you're interested uh, to, to have a way to get more in on what God's doing through the Bible. So as we wrap up this morning, although... We never know what hard time is coming around. We could trust God to take care of us regardless. Now, let me just also say that I know I opened with this really tough situation uh, about this woman, Catherine Wolf. I just wanted to share that at the end of the book, she wrote a book called Hope Heals with her husband, that she's doing better now. Like it's, step, it's slow but steady steps. She's learned to swallow, which was a huge praise, she is able to walk with a cane and, and take more than just one step occasionally at a time. But she says this, suffering powerfully informs who I am. And again, this is coming from a woman who if any woman can say this, it's, it's her. While awful and painful, affliction has led to a heartbreaking but beautiful deepening in me. I have learned to embrace the suffering. I've learned not to push back, but to lean in hard when it hurts the most and press on. Pain has been an instructor, teaching me deeper truths about myself and God and bringing me closer to Christ in a way I never was before this happened. The pain has weighed heavily on our, on our shoulders and hearts, threatening to crush us. She's talking about her husband, Jay, and herself. But we've never been crushed. The hope in our hearts has always been greater than despair because it anchors us. Our hope is Jesus. We trust him. Yeah, amen. And all he's doing and all that we understand, and more importantly, in all that we don't understand. That's our hope. Let me conclude with one final illustration. Back in the dark ages, 1986, that's what my son calls it. It's really not dark ages. Really not dark ages. My home church in northern New Jersey organized a retreat to the Delaware Water Gap area. And specifically, we went to Tuscarora Inn. You know where that is. We went there as just part of just a hangout time for a weekend. I believe it was like late summer. My dad thought it would be a great idea because I'd just come off of a summer camp week where I canoed on a lake. He thought it was a great idea 
if we went canoeing together on the Delaware River. Hey, this is a great idea. Bonding experience. It is funny, Carrie. You'll see. So, we get our, our canoe. We get a few directions from the guide who didn't go with us. That should have been a note to self. And the directions were, avoid this power plant, avoid these rapids, you're good to go, just go. So we get out on the river and off we go. We avoid the rapids, we avoid the power plant, we hit a sandbar. And that was probably about, I don't know, it felt like a long time, maybe it was less than an hour, but it felt like two or three hours. So anyway, when we got stuck on the sandbar, my dad, I could see, was already just frustrated with the whole trip. Because at that point, the Delaware River wasn't full. So we were having to do a lot of just navigating through the river. And so he was just tired, and I was tired. And so we just decided, all right, we'll just, how about we just hoof it back on land? We'll just, we're in the middle of the river. We'll just get to the end. We'll just leave the canoe there. That was my idea. And we'll go. <laughs> Throwing my poor dad under the bus. So, but the thing that we didn't know was that there was a set of rapids between us and the PA side, because that's where we needed to be. Obviously, the other side is the New Jersey side. And so as I am for the first to head into the river, suddenly I'm gone. Like Because the, ra- the rapids were deep. The river in that one spot, the one spot, was really fast. And I'm not a really good swimmer. And at that point, I was 10, so I was shorter, I was younger. I didn't have a lot of experience with water at that point. So I... I was gone. And I literally thought at that point, I was a goner. I literally thought I was a goner. And it was right about in that moment that my dad, you know, pulled me as best he could out, dragged us onto the shore. We hoofed it back the, I think it was a mile. It was longer than I thought it would be. And everything was fine. I think I had a bruised knee and lost a shoe, but all in all, we were good. Well, later on, and again, I say the dark ages because remember, we don't have cell phones in that time. I know for some of you younger people, it's like, whoa, no cell phones. So like a few days later, so we were, this was, I think, a Saturday. And so then we get back home and we're about an hour, hour and a half from home. My, my grandmother calls and says, is everything all right? Yeah, what's wrong? Well, I just felt God prompting me to pray for you last Saturday. And we said, oh, when exactly? And of course, you know, before I say it, when exactly she was prompted to pray for me. And again, this is a true story. You can ask my parents. And when she found out what it was, um, she couldn't believe what had happened. Because again, I I should, by all rights, have been dead because I was literally gone. I don't know how my dad got in there, grabbed me and pulled me out from that water. But she had said that she felt a very strong urge from God to pray specifically for me at that certain time about what was going on. Hard times. As we wrap this up, hard times. God, just like my dad, is trustworthy to take care of us through those hard times. Whether prompting us to pray at the right time, whether giving us what we need at the right time, because our hope, literally every, everyone, our hope is in the Father. So let's jump into application as we close. Because uh, where do we begin trusting God through hard times? Whether we're, we're in hard times or not. 
And I didn't mention, I don't think I did on your sheet this first one, um, but I know um, I've talked about it a few times. Because you can, you can begin, as I said, unwrapping the, one of the gifts God gave you by the living hope. And the idea is writing that list. So I'd say one of those applications is writing a list of what God has done for you in the past, right? Writing a list of what God's done for you in the past. That's, I would call that, I guess, 1A. So moving into number one, begin your relationship with God soon. Maybe you don't have a relationship with this God who Peter is, was excited that he had a relationship with. You need to meet him. And whether it's talking to one of our prayer team that's down here after the service or talking to any one of us or staff, we, 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 we would love and have the privilege of introducing you to God our Father. Number two, get journaling on the gifts. I guess this is part of that. God's given you in the past and present so you can begin to realize how blessed you are. So yeah, this is that, that one. Get journaling on the gifts. Number three, deepen your relationship with Jesus through prayer to increase your joy. Because it says in the verse, I, I kind of skipped over it because there's so much material in here. It was hard to, to get everything into this message. But if you look at, back at verse eight, and though you have not seen him, that's Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. As you have that relationship with Jesus that you deepen, you will experience more of that joy. And that's what I'm talking about. Verse number four. Like I said before, read your Bible in such a way that you catch the fact that we are part of a bigger story. And number five, don't wait to cram for your final. Some of you are like, All right, what does that mean? Well, those that have been, that, that, you know, I'm sure most of you have been to college or high school or you, you've experienced that final. And typically this is what happens. So you're a student and of course you wait till the night before to study, right? You don't necessarily do the best in the test then. Well, the analogy is if you're preparing for suffering and, and hard times, don't wait till the hard time comes, right? Start preparing now. Start preparing now. Because if we can put that, and I think Tim Keller says it best in one of his books, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, a great deal of preparation for suffering is simple but crucial. It means developing a deep enough knowledge of the Bible and a strong enough prayer, prayer life that we will not be, neither be surprised nor be thrown by affliction, by hard times, by suffering. That's what, that's what that means. So I pray that every one of you would have been able to increase your trust here this coming week as you dig into this passage further, as you follow these applications. So let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, I thank you for how you work through our hard times. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't give us hard times, but I know that that's a part of, of your plan. And yet, Lord, I pray over each one of us, especially me, that we would be prepared for when the hard times come, that we would learn through the Bible, through prayer, through these other things, what it means to trust you. Lord, I give you these people, I give you this morning in your name. Amen.